Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts and Christofferson. It is a day before Thanksgiving, uh, one of the heaviest drinking days in Platte County. Uh, Columbus really gets after it before Thanksgiving. I won't be a part of it. I've retired from that. I can't recover quick enough anymore. I'd be afraid to be a still hungover in the press box on Friday. But uh, where, do, what's, where do you go? Glurs? Is that, uh, the, is that the ticket? You finish at Glurs, generally. You, you get to the Pawnee. The, the Catholic kids go over to uh, the Sahara. There's a Catholic bar in, kind in of. Columbus? They, they've taken it over and made it their own. I don't feel comfortable when I'm there. We just we don't see eye to eye. I mean, and it's not even the Catholicism thing. It's just they went to a separate high school. I don't really care about them. You, you go walking in there, and the jukebox screeches to a halt, and everybody looks towards <laughs> the door. Mm, kind of. I basically just walk in, and I think I don't like these people, and then I walk out usually and go to a bar where I like the people. It's interesting. I, mean, I, I know it's hard for you big city slickers to understand. But uh, this is a this is a, a celebratory day in in Columbus and similar sized cities and smaller. I'm envisioning a scenario where like a couple guys get up from the bar and pressed khakis and the white white uh, polos and tell you to get out of their bar. Could happen. <laughs> I, I didn't expect this Thanksgiving story to get into bar rivalries, but here we are. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, it's just not something that's going to happen in Omaha. In Omaha, you have enough. Bars to go around. You've probably got a Millard North hangout spot. <laughs> Omaha. You and North Judd Davies and Eric Crouch. Yeah, me and, me and Eric Crouch just pounding <laughs> beers at the Rusty Nail over on 144th and Pacific. Talking with Paul Homer and Jeff Tarpinian or whatever his name yep, was. Pretty much. Um, in Thanksgiving talk. <laughs> sorry, I, I was just imagining pounding beers with Eric Crouch at the Rusty Nail, and that would be that'd be very odd. Um, Sides, Thanksgiving sides, what's your, your go-to before we get into well, whatever is, else is going to happen on Friday? This is nothing dramatic, but I I just load up on mashed potatoes. I mean, I load up on it, and to a degree where the person across from me is kind of watching it, you know, how you're doing an extra <laughs> scoop and you're getting that evil eye, like, what are you doing? You know, there's there's like eight more people that need mashed potatoes still. But the the trick with mashed potatoes is I like the butter to melt in, you know, and then the gravy. But you've got to you got to make sure that your knife doesn't uh, dirty up the butter, you know. That like you got to get the butter cleanly without mm. without it getting like your potatoes back in the butter or anything. Which should be as simple as just putting it on your plate. But I like to like you like to live a little, yeah. Do you do you like build your potatoes into any specific shape? I mean, you have like a gravy funnel that you're working. Oh yeah, there. yeah. There's like a little a luge, a gravy yeah. luge. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. I mean, give me that and the turkey, and I I'm off. I'm gonna say something relatively controversial. I don't like gravy, and people kind of get mad about this. <laughs> I can see why. I was at a. I, was I at not a, like gravy. I'm not. To, I'm not getting mad. My blood pressure is rising a little bit, but I just, I just don't like brown gravy. Like chicken gravy, I'm all in. Sausage gravy, sure. Brown gravy, it's just blah tasting. Doesn't do anything. For people, me. people at your table know this, or do you kind of hide it? Uh, at this point, my family is well aware of just the outcast nature that I bring Jeez. to the situation. But I was accosted at a friendsgiving event the other day, 
where, I mean, it was a, a Thanksgiving amongst friends and I'm rolling up. I get my mashed potatoes. The gravy's right there. I walk by and the guy in the line behind me is like, not going to get any gravy. Yeah. I was like, ah, I don't really, I don't like gravy. You don't like gravy. I can see why. And people just don't yeah. respect you if you don't like gravy. I'm with them. He mocked me all the way through the I don't rest really, of the line. I, you going to get any green bean casserole? You don't like green bean casserole? No, I'll get some. I've lost some respect for you, i got to admit. Well, this, this day, I, I wanted to get it out in the open. At least I know where I stand. I, I was uh, perusing infographics last night about which portion of the country prefers which Thanksgiving side. I saw the same graphic. Um, I, I feel like the, the Southeast is doing it right. Um, the, the, the preferred side in, in the North uh, Midwest was uh, the green bean casserole, which I can get behind generally. The uh, the southeast is apparently all about macaroni and cheese uh, as a side, which I think is probably underappreciated and should be a part of any Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm big on macaroni and cheese. My favorite, we do like a cheesy hash brown bake thing that's pretty good. That's just terrible for you, but tastes great. Um, I like sweet potatoes. Pumpkin pie is a great part of Thanksgiving. I mean, I, I basically, this is, to me, the best holiday for food, for the most part. You can load up on everything but gravy, and you're in pretty good shape. Uh, we've probably beat the, the Thanksgiving. Have we? You yeah. know who likes gravy? Scott Frost and Justin Fuente. <laughs> Scott Frost trying to get to gravy town. Gravy train. Um, do we want to go there first? Do we want to talk Iowa? I mean, there's I think a- we need to recap your guys' trip out to, to Pennsylvania, the 40 hours spent in Pennsylvania and parts of Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. Spent a little time in State College. I mean, how was it? Was it everything you'd hoped it would be? And how quickly do you want to plan a trip back? Well, the good thing is Nebraska people will be delighted to hear this. I am. Penn State road trips are not on the schedule through 2021. So it's at least 2022 <laughs> till we have to go back I there. I love the research. Man. Again. Halfway between Pittsburgh yeah. and Penn State, we started looking. When's the next time we're going to have to go up here? And- yeah, so that's that's positive. Although I will say, and I think Bruns would agree with this, they have a basically it's like a church potluck type of deal going on for yeah. their press food, which was really good. They had good sides, you would say. Lots of good sides. And uh, they, they put some care into it. But it feels like you're stuck in a time warp when you're up there. I mean, there's like one bathroom in this giant press box, mm-hmm. maybe two. And it's uh, it definitely feels like Joe Paterno like laid out the plans on how to model the press box in 1956 or something. They and they decided not to shift from that. We, we were... Uh... The, the way it's designed, too, it, it's like this really, it's like being in the hole of a ship, basically. Like, there's tiny little hallways. Everything's just jagged edges and metal. And the the floors are uneven. And they just kind of, like, carpeted over where they weren't uneven. So, I, I like, broke my neck about four times. Uh, but the elevators weren't working going down to the field after the game. So myself and a couple people from the Journal Star decided that we were going to just, you know, go down down these metal stairs in the middle of this driving rainstorm. And somebody said it was like being in the Deepwater Horizon movie, which, <laughs> <laughs> which wasn't far off. But that, that was pretty much the highlight of my Penn State experience. Well, I'm glad nobody got hurt. That sounds kind of dangerous. So, I was sitting there thinking like, you know, these like rusty stairs, like when the last time I got a tetanus shot was. 
I was good. The trip was long, and I'm glad it's over. And I think Nebraska fans are glad it's over. That was a game where you're just looking at it the way the season is going, and you're thinking like, okay, just I, I just hope this doesn't end up 80 to 14. And it looked like it might at halftime. I yep. mean, it was that bad, 42 to 10, and Penn State had 439 yards of offense. And I was thinking about this. I mean, I know Nebraska's a bad team. We all know that kind of expected they might get slapped around in this game. But even a bad team shouldn't go give up 439 yards of offense like that in one half. I mean, like Kent State on September 10th against Penn State in an 11 a.m. game you're watching shouldn't be getting beat 42-10 to 10 and giving up those kind of yards at halftime. That's where this thing's really gotten embarrassing for Nebraska. The, the interesting thing in that game was, you know, obviously the defense struggled to, to stop Saquon Barkley, who's an elite player. He's a you, stud. You saw that. Um, Nebraska's offense, I mean, we were we were counting the length of the drives in that first half. I mean, they had a 14-second drive. Followed by like a 49. Yeah, like they went, was it six straight possessions? They went three and, three and out. out. Like, yeah. that, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, and, you know, I kind of got it turned around on me because I, I was tweeting and telling you in the second quarter, I was like, I think they just got to get out of Dodge, run the ball and get the heck out of here. You know, at some point it becomes about self-preservation a little bit and not having a score go across the crawl that's just ridiculous. And they decided not to in the second half, and it, it worked out for them. I mean, they ended up – they kind of ended up – and this sounds bad to say about Nebraska football, but they ended up accomplishing what they needed to out of the trip, and that's Where's like, respectability. Okay, yeah, okay, that score's all right. Let's move on. So the, uh, the amazing thing about that is it occurred because Penn State largely just stopped Saquon Barkley. They did. They yeah. put the brakes on their own they, player, and they, that – Stop running up the Nebraska. score by not throwing the ball down. Usually it's like, oh, they're throwing. Why they're doing that? Like that was Penn State, I think, doing a solid to Mike Riley, basically. Like, okay, we're going to take out the guy who could run probably 60 yards every other time he touches it on you. I, when he took off on, I think it was the third play, scored on the 60, 65-yard touchdown run. Like in the press box, you're, you're around other Nebraska people. Was it just kind of like resignation, like this is going to be Minnesota all over again? Yeah, I think it was basically you would say it as it was a whelp kind of moment, you know? It's <laughs> just, like, whelp, there just you go. Kind of like an audible yeah. exhale and then like just start typing. That guy is so good. <laughs> yeah. He is so good. And Penn State's line is so bad. I mean, I, I, I kind of wish that you could see him in a situation where he had like a average line to an above average line i mean you put somebody like barkley behind wisconsin and let him go my god you'd have the heisman trophy it's the thing that was remarkable about him too he had six catches for i think 77 yards or something like that mo berry was talking about him after the game and saying that you know he's by far and away the best player that they've played this year and i mean they've seen royce freeman they've seen dobbins at ohio state uh taylor at wisconsin he was like when he caught the ball in the flat, every time like he just started running upfield, you're like, he's gonna he's got a really good chance to just take this to the house no matter where he is. It felt like anytime he broke or got by one tackler, you're like, Well, this is just it's over. Yeah. And I mean Joshua Kalou saved probably three touchdowns, um, making tackles basically, you know, thirty yards downfield, but 
he's a pretty special player. And, you know, I the, the thing that was still kind of left me scratching my head was if you're game planning for Penn State, how do you leave Barkley out in the flat with nobody within like 10 yards of him? Sometimes he was just like waving his arms yeah. like a kid in a – yeah, after school movie like demanding the ball. Yeah, <laughs> he's over there with like what, what after school movie is this? I don't know. <laughs> he's over there with like okay. road flares, just like yeah. waving at McSorley. My car's broken down. There's yeah. a movie. I think it's another teen movie. It's a stupid movie where there's a kid and he's kind of the dork in school and he's like down the field wide open and he's waving for the ball and he gets it and then he gets crushed and I think like his head falls off or something it's a stupid comedy type movie but (laughs) i never expected another teen movie to be what he was gonna reference because that is definitely not an after school movie yeah i don't don't. anyway he was he was just wide open yeah with like guys not 15 yards well sometimes 15 20 yards away yeah it it just seems like if you're game planning leaving barkley with that much open space around him would be atop the list of things that you'd want to avoid it's understandable but not how nebraska chose to to play it this week they will play an iowa team that will come into the game with about six play calls on their play call sheet and nebraska will have to defend those for an entire game we saw last year when they were in a far better situation and a far better defense they struggled with that to me as you kind of look forward to this iowa game or that's a pretty big assumption maybe not look forward to Look to this Iowa game. It is uh, a situation where even though Iowa is not particularly good, their strengths are where Nebraska is at its lowest right now. And I I really struggle to see what the path towards victory on Friday would be if Iowa comes out and plays a pretty typical Iowa game. I wouldn't mind seeing Tanner Lee throw it about 60 times on Friday. But they have a good pass defense, so that's kind of their their setup. I mean, I, I know that I don't care. I just want to see him air it out. 60 you're times. just done with the two yard runs from yeah. Nebraska. I mean, I understand moving the clock or whatever, but I I, I just want to see some YOLO ball. You just want to it's... stay at the press box until about eight. Yep. And then we go down for post game. Get home at about midnight. Yep. That's what I'm asking for. My uh, phone shows it's going to be 66 degrees, but there's a big wind gust. Could be a problem. Hmm. I don't care. Doesn't matter. Nope. Throw it everywhere. Five wide. Keep winging it. Chuck, Chuck the it. ball guy. Yep. I think it'll be a thoroughly entertaining game. That's close. Really? So, yeah, I do. Why is that? Because I don't. Because I think Nebraska. You know the hate. It fe- it feels like in the past few years Iowa has truly like despised Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah, they have. Like their players despise Nebraska to the point where you can tell it me it almost means more to them yep. in that game. And maybe that is turning a little bit. And I think the 40-10 to 10 game last year perhaps did that and the, just the way that game went down. Because I, you can kind of feel the hate this week when Husker players talk about Iowa. And so if there were a team you were to play in a 4-7 and seven season that could maybe inspire you that last week, I think just beating Iowa could do the trick. It, it's funny, too, though. I mean, Iowa, at least the coaching staff, has quite the reason to win this game. Um I mean, what is it? Kirk Ferentz gets another two point three million added onto to that buyout. buyout. Yeah, um, it's the most ridiculous contract in the world. Yeah, we, him and Bobby Bonilla, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think I think Nebraska's players are going to be motivated. I think they know that there's. I mean, they obviously know there's not going to be a bowl game. So you know that this kind of is the the bowl game for them. I mean, I 
I don't know. Like it almost feels like this is a game where they can kind of play without pressure because I, I think they kind of know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of hatred, like you said, for Iowa more than there has been in the past. And I, go ahead. I, I keep waiting for the game where Nebraska kind of like lets loose a little bit. And you kept thinking like, okay, well maybe, you know, now's the time to kind of throw the kitchen sink at Wisconsin because this isn't working or that isn't working. And you haven't really seen that on offense. And I don't know if you'll see it on Friday, but it'd be kind of nice if, you know, someone asked me on Saturday during the Penn State game, when's the last time Nebraska ran like an actual trick play? And I couldn't think of anything. And, and that doesn't mean much, but the idea basically being that it, I kind of just want to see them play loose. Mm-hmm. And instead of just being like wound so tight, which they basically have been all year long, it'd be somewhat enjoyable to just see him come out. There's no pressure. There's really nothing to play for other than to just go play the game. And maybe in a weird way, that's going to help him. Yeah. Uh, and that would be kind of nice to see. I still think it's a tough matchup for him because of where their deficiencies are, but it, it would be nice. And I, I'm hopeful that Brian's correct, that it's going to be close. I have a bad feeling it could get away from him in a hurry though. Someone asked me this week, is it weird over there? Um, and you would assume that it might be in this type of situation where everybody's speculating about the jobs. I see if you guys agree, but I told the person, not really. Um, it feels like you're talking about being loose. Like there's almost a piece about it. Like this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Everybody knows what's going to happen. And when you have that piece, sometimes you just, I think the coaches probably have it and players have it on like three years ago where there was all this like, is Bo going to get fired? Is he not? And you're that whole week. It's not like that this time. And uh, that should benefit this team. Also, the other part, just getting inside the game a little bit. Iowa, I know they got big old linemen and they love to run the ball. They haven't run it that well this year. I mean, they've been very inconsistent. They've had games where they've completely been shut down. And I know the snarky comment that follows that is like, well, yeah, they're about to get their cure in Nebraska's defense. And I, I follow that line of thinking. But if, if ever there was a team for Nebraska's defense to go against here, maybe you could say, okay, they could hold them to 175, 200, even if they hold them to like 200 rushing yards or less and make Iowa win it through the air and make a couple plays, I think Nebraska could win a shootout. Yeah. I think it's going to be high scoring. Wow. That would be something. Like a 50 to 45 game. I mean, that's what I want, but. I was thinking like 34 to 30. I was oh. thinking kind of in the context of Nebraska, Iowa, but yeah. Okay. I Here's what I am also looking for in this game. Think back to the number of just weird special teams plays that always seem to happen when Nebraska and Iowa meet. Like you've got Ferentz continuing to kick the ball to DeMornay personnel in 2014 despite you know, pretty much every evidence to the fact that he should stop. You had the butt punt. You had the ill-advised Broderick Nickens fake punt handoff. Um, I'm expecting there's going to be something weird on special teams in this game just because it always happens that way. But, uh, you know, maybe this is the game where DeBorne Pearsonell finally gets a, a big return or at least an opportunity to make that big return. Darlington comes back and throws his first career touchdown pass. Yeah, it's something weird like that. But but punt two, part two. The then the big question, of course, is what 
what happens after the game, like right after the game or Saturday morning, and that's what I'm interested in and most of the fan base is at this point. I can't even focus now because I'm thinking of sequel titles for Butt Punt 2, which is basically the first one that popped into my mind was Butt Punt 2, whole ass in it. <laughs> <laughs> is it... We we actually went back, I believe, earlier this season and kind of Zapruder filmed the whole thing, and we believe that it didn't actually hit him in the butt. It was no. like it was like in the upper back, wasn't it? Yeah, Zach Hannon. Yeah, and uh, Sam Fultz, two thousand fourteen, right? Yes. And then ran in by a native son, Drew Ott. For yeah. A touchdown. <laughs> it was like the worst combination of things that could happen. <laughs> Oscar football. It was such an amazing <laughs> moment when it happened, though. I recall just sitting there and being like, that kind of sums up where the Drew Ott, of course. Going. Of course it was Drew Ott. Nebraska <laughs> just punted it into its own player's butt. So what you're saying is that in the sequel to Butt Putt 1, that Noah Fant is going to play <laughs> yeah. a prominent role in it somehow? Noah, Noah Fant is going to do something where everybody's like, of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course it was Noah Fant. It's going to happen. Um, you, you segued and then we brought it back, but we can segue again. <laughs> um, so... I mean, how how does this weekend kind of play out, do you guys think, or what do you kind of see happening? It's all guesswork, of course. If we go by past, past history, usually it's a, like, Saturday morning press release that comes out about 8 or 9 a.m. Um, I don't think they would wait long into the morning. You know, I, I leave open the possibility just because Riley is of a different breed and I think he could handle this situation well. I've always left open the idea that he could pop up at any one of these press conferences, including the post-game one, and say, you know, well, that, that was it for me and um, I've enjoyed my time here sort of thing. And he would do really well with that if they did it that way. I don't suspect that's going to happen. Um, but the, then the question, of course, is, how quickly do you move after that? Uh, we know from Bill Moose's history at Washington State when uh, he let go of Paul Wolf. You know they had Mike Leach up there that next Sunday. Of course, this matter is completely complicated if you're on the whole Scott Frost train by the fact that Central Florida is playing South Florida Friday afternoon themselves. Whoever wins that game gets to play in the conference title the next week. In a weird way, Nebraska would be done a service if Frost is the guy by South Florida winning. Mm-hmm. But uh, so there's all these layers and and Chip Kelly factors in in some way too, deciding what he's going to do between UCLA and Florida. It appears you've already got UCLA open. You've got Florida open. Tennessee is open. A uh, and M is expected to be open re- reportedly. Um, Jimbo Fisher is kind of an interesting cog in all this because if A&M does come open, it sounds like he's going to be targeted by A&M. And then if Florida State gets open, I I think that that really kind of throws the the picture kind of into disarray a little bit. Do we agree that Florida State would be the best open job in the country if it were to open up? I think that's a top four job, basically, with – Alabama, Ohio State, and then, I don't know, I would put Notre Dame in the it's top what, five. It, it's also league. why I'm not convinced Jimbo would want to leave there for a Yeah, that's a- – that, A&M is one of those schools that I, it gets talked about like it's this great situation. They, they don't have championship history. It hasn't been shown that it can be done there in decades. And – 
So you're really taking a leap of faith if you're leaving a program that has all that already and all the resources that Florida State would have um, to go to a place that mostly has been like an eight or nine win program if you look back at their uh, resume. It, it could be argued that maybe Jimbo Fisher's trying to reset the clock a little bit um, because I I think that he has made some people unhappy mm-hmm. down at Florida State. And I do think that A&M has more financial resources, football resources, than Florida State does because I don't think they're – I mean, they, they just built a practice facility within the last few years. Like, they're kind of were behind the times in terms of actual football facilities – a lot of those Florida schools are. Yeah. And some of the some of those coaches aren't looking at the SEC like we did five to ten years ago where it's like, oh, you can't go through this league. It'll just eat you alive. I mean, right now, there's seven, eight, nine teams in the SEC you look at, you're like, yeah, they're not that good. Seven, I mean, eight, nine teams hiring coaches. Yeah, right I mean, now. Missouri – look at Missouri as an example. They started so poorly, you thought, that team's terrible. They're going on a little winning streak right now through the SEC – because the competition's so bad. So it's not like a, that kind of league right now. But the, the tough part oh, go ahead. I said the tough part for A&M, though, is you do have to go through Bama every year. But Florida I, State has to go through Clemson. So it's almost kind of like Brunt's getting a phone call in the, sorry. the middle of this. Is, is Harvey coming on to the podcast? He, he's not. Uh, he thinks he is, but he's not. Well, Harvey's getting shut out. Um, he, he's a listener, you know. Long First time, long time. <laughs> You should have put him on speakerphone. I should have. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean, you do have to go to go through Clemson if you're Florida State. I mean, I, I think Alabama is a little bit more of a uh, would put more fear into me having to go through them every year than uh, Clemson. Plus, you've got LSU there too. I mean, A and M's legitimately what like the, the third at best team in that that division. It'd be behind Auburn for me. So it would probably go Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and then A&M. And if Arkansas hires Gus Malzahn, I, this coaching cycle could be amazing because of the December 20th signing period. You have all of these coaches that are apparently resetting clocks or looking at leaving jobs. All of the different jobs that are going to open up because people are getting plucked from different spots. Like, it is just a fascinating recruiting or not recruiting, but a coaching cycle coming up. And then you have that December 20th deadline. And if you're a Nebraska or a Nebraska fan right now, you're rooting for coaching Armageddon because the more jobs that open up, the more recruits that are going to be available uh, for visits and such in December. And then they're probably not going to sign on December 20th. So then they're available in January. You want absolute anarchy. You should be rooting for pandemonium. Of course, you should also be rooting for your own program to, you know, make the move that's going to set itself forward, but also root for anarchy. That's my pitch. So basically you're hoping that as a Nebraska fan that it's the car that's kind of like at the back of the the big pileup that zooms through somehow while everybody (laughs) else is peeling out and going into the wall and driving across the infield. You want to be the car that gets on the shoulder of the road and just goes by everybody (laughs) up to the exit? Yeah. Bill Moose with playing music loudly as he does it. I kind of can picture it. Chip, Chip Kelly is a guy who controls all the cars. Yeah, he's a domino. I mean, he's the first domino that starts it all off. Is he going to go to UCLA or Florida? It seems like that's what it's down to. Um, it's been reported that Tennessee offered him. 
Tennessee offered. And Nebraska maybe showed interest by yeah. George Schroeder, correct, of yes. USA Today? I it always uh, the semantics of this time of year always gets me. It's like what's showing interest? Like, yeah, that can did, be a lot of. They sent him a birthday card. I was gonna say, did somebody follow him on Twitter? Is that interest? <laughs> hey, in the recruiting world, <laughs> that's a lot of interest. Yeah, um, but yeah, that I mean that'll be interesting. It sounds like a decision is forthcoming, like in the next couple of days too. Can we point out how Nebraska has played this relatively smart? Because of all of the people that hemmed and hawed about Florida getting to the front of the line, and it's now they're in the same into the coming into the final week. Not only did they get to the front of the line, everybody watched as their plane came back empty on Sunday. So they're, I mean, they could still get Chip Kelly, and they could still get the guy, but they've already sort of been linked to definitely getting Scott Frost, which didn't necessarily happen and could happen. Definitely getting Chip Kelly, which hasn't happened and still could happen. They still don't have a coach. They fired their coach in the middle of October, and they don't have one now. Well, it also, it's why we've been beating this drum. We have consistently beat this drum that it's not a big deal yep. that Bill Moose makes some move yeah. in November. I mean, early November mm-hmm. with, with Mike Riley or anything. He This is a behind-the-scenes game. It's always played that way. It's been going on. They've Nebraska's been making their moves just like everybody else, and nobody has had an advantage. Tennessee certainly didn't gain an advantage because <laughs> they fired Butch Jones. They just made people happy that Butch Jones was no longer on their TV yeah, I mean, sets it's on instant Saturday. gratification is all that it is, but it doesn't make your team better. Tennessee nor Florida have played better because they have an interim coach now. The All of the arguments that people made to me – it's just they haven't come anywhere close to fruition with the programs that have chosen to, to move on from a coach. I, I will say, though, that Tennessee moving on from Butch Jones created some great social media memories. I mean, you've got people – there were 7,500 people watching a Periscope screen, Periscope stream of a guy sitting in an airport parking lot waiting for somebody to emerge from a plane. I watched it for twenty five minutes. Referencing the groomers. Yes, I was. I was watched. I watched the thing for twenty five minutes and was captivated the entire time, which maybe says something about me. But I was going to say it was it was peak Tennessee. I have to say. Do you do you regret that you spent twenty five minutes watching this? Not a not not a one iota. <laughs> not a single iota. No. There's not even a half of an iota. I don't know what to think about this conversation. I've heard this. I've heard this guy doesn't like gravy. <laughs> The whole thing is really... You're really having second thoughts about this whole thing. Um, but the, the best part of that, and I have to say, this guy's sitting there with the <laughs> cell phone, and there's a plane parked behind the fence. Every comment on this Periscope was, go to the fence, go to the fence, go to the fence. And the guy was resolute that he was not going to go to the fence. He finally went to the fence. Nobody was on that plane. Note. <laughs> 7,500 people. On like a random Thursday afternoon. Yeah, I've done I've done that two or three not with periscoping it, but I've done it like two or three times in my career where you followed a flight of airplane and we've sat out there and same result. <laughs> so that's why maybe it's just those experiences why I just can't get into the whole flight aware. Oh, I hate it. I yeah, hate I do it too. It's, it's so much grasping at straws and like the. The one, the one that allegedly was going down there—not allegedly. There's a flight going down to Orlando, 
And it's kind of like they're not taking a prop plane down to Orlando with Bill Moose on Moose, is, Moose was flying it. <laughs> Bill hopped in the Cessna and flew on down to Orlando. Yeah, they're avoiding that because Moose is just flying his own plane. <laughs> Can't you see it? Oh, Scott, get in. <laughs> they just take a trip around and talk it out. What's the plane called? The Spruce Moose? <laughs> yes. Pretty good reference. Thank you. Uh so I mean, obviously going to be an interesting weekend to follow. I, I do want to talk recruiting for a minute, even though it has been pretty quiet. Recruiting, a little recruiting. Uh, Mike Riley made an in-state offer um, a couple days ago to uh, Garrett Snodgrass of York. You've seen him play a couple times. Um, very talented player. <clears throat> the fourth in-state offer that Nebraska's made already uh, in that 2019 class. What can you tell us about Garrett and? Uh, kind of where he fits, because I think he's a pretty unique player. Yeah, he's a very unique player. He's probably the best um, 2019 guy I've watched so far, and I haven't had a chance to really watch um, Hickman or Heinrich yet, so that's take that with a grain of salt. But what I like about Snodgrass is really, honestly, that he's willing to play anything at the high school level. I mean, this is a guy that in the same game lined up Quarterback, running back, tight end, wide receiver, linebacker, defensive end. And he could have played safety if York needed it. And so his versatility is tremendous. And he's six foot three, two hundred and five pounds, probably gonna be two fifteen, two twenty by the time he graduates college. Uh he's got a great frame. I mean, his dad's even taller than he is, and and that gives you, you know, the chance he could end up at six five. I mean, there's a chance he could grow himself into being a uh, 3-4 defensive end or a, a menacing 3-4 outside linebacker, and he's smart. And you could see against Omaha Scutt, he had a knack for getting his hand into th- to throwing lanes. Like if he wasn't getting a sack and the quarterback was rolling to the right and he knew that he wouldn't get there in time to close, he's holding up to basically prevent the guy from being able to get a direct throw over him. Or he reads that it's a screenplay and he's not able to, to pick it, but he drops back and gets a hand and backs it over the, the running back. I mean, he's a smart, instinctive player um, on defense, a very good athlete in, in the Class B level. I mean, they basically made the decision where he's going to put the, the ball in his hands as many times as possible, and that's a, a good recipe for success. I think he's a linebacker at the next level. Uh, I think that's probably where he fits best. Um Someone that's a much smarter talent evaluator than I am compared him to Luke Gifford coming out of high school, and I can see that for sure. Gifford was a quarterback and a safety for Southeast, a really good athlete that was about 210 pounds, and he had to put some weight on. Uh, now, I mean, honestly, Nebraska's run defense, I don't think it's a, a huge portion of it, but it's a portion of it. They haven't had Gifford since the bye week, and so – their run defense has gotten worse since then. I, I think that Gifford was a, a good player for Nebraska this year. I think he's a guy that coming back next year could be a piece that you really like on your defense. And I think Garrett Snodgrass maybe has that kind of upside. We'll see, you know, who else offers him. I wouldn't be surprised if once the senior film gets out there that he has the regional Kansas State, Iowa State, Wyoming. He's, he's going to get North Dakota State. He already has South Dakota State. You might even see some other schools that, that push in there. And he really likes Nebraska. I think it's just going to be a matter of if there's a new coaching staff, who it is. If they show interest in him, I think he's going to want to be a part of it. He uh, was a guy, too. I know at the, the opening regional in Chicago fared pretty well uh, as an underclassman. I, I want to say he was probably top 15 
top 20 overall for, for his scores there, which that was a pretty loaded event too. Uh, Cameron Brown was there and a few other guys. So uh, good to see Nebraska kind of jump on that offer because it, it was it seemed like it was a little bit of a foregone conclusion based on how he, he yeah. played this year. He he always struck me that he would be sort of an H-back. And um, it wasn't until, you know, I went out and watched him and practice, and you can see, I mean, it's a lot more athletic. And, and that's the other thing. If you wanted to put him on the offensive side of the ball, you could make him sort of a split-out tight end and have a lot of success in the red zone. He's got some ups, basketball player. He's just a really good athlete. And one thing that I will say, if there is a coaching change, it it works in Nebraska's favor in the sense that in that 2019 class got four legitimate in-state offers for for good players already. It's a good year to, to have somebody come in and maybe revitalize, you know, the, the state a little bit, get some guys in early in your class. You, you get a, a nice little nest there that you build off of. I mean, that's a don't underestimate how important that can be. And he's from uh, York, Nebraska, not New yeah. York, correct? He is not from New York. <laughs> I know that there's been some mistakes made. York is in Nebraska. It's just off of I-80. Okay. That's okay, then. It's got the big water balloon tower. <laughs> it is It is a, one of the more visually pleasing water towers, I have to say, in the state yeah, of Nebraska. Um, is it prediction time? We're, we're, we're 40 minutes into this well, thing. Well, what are we predicting? We're going to predict some Iowa-Nebraska and Stanley Morgan. Okay. He's like closing in on uh, Johnny Rogers' uh, all-time single-season receiving record. 31 yards short, 30 yards short. He's 30 to tie, 31 to lead, 88 to get to 1,000. Hey, real quickly, Brian, you were there when Keith Williams was talking. What did you think of his answer when asked about Stanley Morgan's opportunity of breaking the record? The, the fact that he should have it already? Yeah, I, I really like that, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, that shows the kind of personal relationship that those two have that a coach can say that and the, the player won't read it and take it the wrong way. He knows exactly what he means. It's a expectation like, Hey man, you also dropped about 12 passes this year or whatever the number is that could, could have you at 1100 yards right now. That, that one game was at Illinois. Yeah, I mean, he had a monster it. night statistically, but it could man, have been even he, he could add 170 yards in that game as opposed to about a hundred and he'd almost already be there. So I, I, I like, I like that connection, and you can tell Keith Williams one quick thing. He 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 was kind of emotional, I thought, a little bit when like Pearsonell got brought up and being a senior and just like saying goodbye to those guys that he's worked so closely with. There's those relationships are pretty special, and uh, guys start to think about him a lot this week. All right, first off, does Stanley Morgan? I I I think we all agree he's probably going to break it. I mean he's. Got to get 30 yards. Hold on here, bro. Or am I going too far out on you that? You predict how you element? want to predict. And yeah. Sorry. Let's stop <laughs> trying to speak for the group. Is he going to get to Johnny Rogers' record, yes or no? Yes. Well, I mean, yeah, they're going to they're gonna force it. They're just going to be like – they're going to be like throwing bubble screens if they have to to try to like, okay, Brunson, get a block, get him. Brunson's annoyed. So, yes, we all agree he's going to get to Johnny Rogers' record. Yeah, I think that's a foregone conclusion. Does he get over a thousand yards for the season? Yes or no? So that's he needs 78. 88. Yeah. Yes. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. I also say yes. 
wasn't so hard now, was it? <laughs> well, I didn't think it was difficult to begin with. I just didn't want you speaking on my behalf. Look at Dad yelling at the kids in the back seat right now. Score predictions <laughs> for Nebraska and Iowa. BC. 34 for Nebraska, 30 for Iowa, because I think the hate that's filled the Husker hearts this week, I think they play a good game. I think it's an entertaining game, and as entertaining as a game between a 4-7 and seven and 6-5 and five team can be. Schaefer? Uh, I will go with a Nebraska win. I'm not inter- entirely sure how they do it, but we're just going to finish a season of bad predictions with one final bad prediction. Nebraska 28, Iowa 20. Uh, I'm going to – I'm going to pick Iowa in this one, unfortunately. Uh, I'm going to go with Iowa 38, Nebraska 34. I really thought you were going to go for the low moment of Iowa 38, Nebraska 10. <laughs> Nebraska 2. <laughs> so, yeah, 38-34 is where I'm going with. Kirk Ferentz gets that uh, couple million added on to the, onto that sweet, sweet buyout. <laughs> and uh, that, that's how the, uh, the regular season ends for the Huskers after I predicted 9-3 and three to start the season. <laughs> it would be the worst uh, – a loss would be the worst record since 1961. If they win, it ties 2007. In 2004, right? They went 5-6 and six in 2004, so technically they'd be oh. a little behind in the old win percentage column. Games. Look some, at all that money they left on the table by some, only playing 11 games. Eh, well, they, they made for up for it in 2002. They played 14, so. 7-7. Seven and seven. <laughs> all, all right, right. busy weekend ahead. Well, we uh, wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving here from Nebraska 24-7 and load up on gravy, you animals. And if you don't fall asleep in the afternoon or you're not too riveted by the Vikings-Lions game, which hopefully will be a route for Minnesota, uh, feel free to check out nebraska.247sports.com for all of your content on Nebraska sports and athletics. Uh, Basketball, which we did not discuss in today's show because Brunts is now down on the program, Tips off whoa, on whoa. Thursday. You didn't even bring it up? Well, we're already at 45 minutes. I'm doing these people a solid. Right, well. The trip to fans kicking in. <laughs> I don't even know how to close this now. You threw me off my rhythm. You just didn't accept you were telling, the insult. You were, you were telling them to come to the site. Because there's going to be a lot of stuff. Because there's going to be a lot well, of yeah, stuff. There should, be, mean, there should be plenty of stuff. I mean, just, it's not going to be a Thanksgiving feast, but they're going to have content and things that they can read. Uh, and, of course, we'll have all the coverage on Friday. And anything that may or may not happen beyond that, we will cover that too at (laughs) Nebraska.247sports.com.